everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 57 of the show. Not to be confused with Tales to Astonish 57, where Spider-Man fought Giant Man and the Wasp realized that she had some rather unexpected Wasp instincts. But um, <laughs> Hey, they both did, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, they did. But we are on episode 57, where we are in the last bits of May, 1964. We're in the second week. We started May 12th, 1964, last episode, with Tales of Suspense 56 and the Uncanny Unicorn. And we're going to finish out that month this week. We are. We're going to start with everybody's favorite book on this show. Can you guess? That's right. Can you? Strange Tales. Woohoo! Wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we should do a poll on our website like what is their favorite book on this show that'd be interesting oh, yeah. i have a feeling strange tales would lose but maybe i'm totally wrong um but anyway strange tales number 123 as we already said came out may 12th cover dated august 1964 and i get this bad boy to cover tonight um it's actually got a split cover is that the first time it's like been split down the middle I was actually just looking that up. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had Doctor Strange in like a little inset bottom mm-hmm. portion yeah. of the Wax Museum story. Right. Um, we had last issue, Torch was most of it, and Doctor Strange was off to the side. This is the first time it's split exactly down the middle. Sweet. So this also, is like all uh, Tales of Suspense, you know, Cap Iron Man, whoosh, right down the middle, which is kind of exactly. neat. Exactly. So we got... I also, did you... I think... Maybe you mentioned it last time. We have um, Doctor Strange in the corner box with a torch now. I did not mention that. That's awesome. I didn't notice. Um, it just started last issue. That's cool. So that is that is that because his page count is increasing, or is that just my imagination? Uh, his page count has increased. Uh, it might yeah. be because of that. But the the torch image of him flying like that that was just the torch by himself up until one twenty one. Okay. And as of last ep- last issue, they inserted a Doctor Strange face with it. So we got a cool split cover with the Human Torch fighting this new guy called the Beetle. And then on the other side, we got Doctor Strange fighting Loki. And both of them have guest-starred floating heads. Torch has the thing, which is kind of ho-hum because he's in every issue. But uh, Doctor Strange has Thor, so that should be interesting. Um, It's called The Birth of the Beetle, the first story, Human Torch story. And it's written by Stan Lee, Nuff said, illustrated by Carl Burgos. And this is awesome. It says, who was the first to draw the torch way back in the golden age of comics? So we've so, covered a Carl Burgos torch story before. We have. We covered his first story. So that's kind of neat. Inked by Darling Dick Ayers and lettered by Smiling Sam Rosen. So now here's the part where I have to remember kind of what happened. And I have to admit it a little behind the scenes. I actually accidentally read this story out of order and then we took like a couple weeks off (laughs) and then I read it again and it still hasn't really cemented in my brain but let's give it a shot it's some dude named Abner Abner Jenkins and uh, he's like insert that um, um, origin motivation that we've already read it seems like 50 times before where he's a disgruntled scientist who isn't getting his due he's not on the cover of like mechanics weekly or anything so what does he do he creates something super awesome and then wants to use it to uh, uh, do crime because he wants children and stuff to remember the day they first heard of the beetle Um, oh spoilers yeah he like creates a beetle outfit so then we cut to um, the Human Torch and the Thing, and they're on a date with their girls, 
which are uh, Alicia Masters and see I can't even, Darla Darling what's her name again Dory Dory, Dory yeah see, see I don't know because we never see her but here she is um, and when they get there these two dudes like give Human Torch and the thing a hard time and they kind of want to beat them up but the girls stop them because they're more level headed put a pin in that because that's how the issue will end later doesn't really matter right now because the beetle is robbing the place or robbing a nearby place he's got a cash register that he's got on his sticky fingers because that's like one of his armor's powers like the beetle he can stick things like Spider-Man stuff so he uh, uh confronts human torch and the thing and neither one of them are super impressed in fact the thing is so unimpressed he goes back into the restaurant to make sure like they have his burger right while johnny fights the beetle but the beetle throws like the cash register at him and he's too scared to burn it because there's all his money in it so then he starts losing and then the thing decides to help out so he throws a wall or something or no he just like picks up the restaurant and walks under it or something like that for no reason and the the beetle tries to throw hot soup on the thing because that's gonna hurt him i guess but Johnny can now suck heat from hot soup, so it just becomes cold soup, and that's kind of cool. Anyway, the beetle flies away. Johnny chases after him. There's this big highway scene. At some point, the beetle hits Johnny with his mechanical wings, which are coated with asbestos. That's right, kids. His number one weakness. So he goes falling to the ground. Cops try and arrest the beetle, but his wings are also bulletproof. So basically, the beetle gets away. Those two guys that were razzing Johnny and Thing are there somehow, and they make fun of them some more. Eventually, Johnny and the Torch kind of regroup and get back to hunting him down. They find him again, robbing something else. They try and wrap flame around him, but again, it's best those wings. Uh, the Thing tries to beat him up, and the Beetle jumps behind a bush and disappears, and they can't find him. They look everywhere. The cops are searching. Half the Fantastic Four are searching. Nothing. Turns out the beetle can also bury himself like a beetle. So that big hole in the ground that kept walking by, that's where he was. Um, anyway, they try and find him again. This time he is robbing the World Trade or the, uh, what do you call it? World's Fair? Yeah, World's Fair. Kind of a throwback to uh, the old Superman, Superman and Batman and stuff. That's kind of cool. But anyway... Um, so once again, he has cash registers on his sticky finger things. And this time he drops all the money into the crowd, which causes chaos. And then he tries to pull the move again on the thing in the Human Torch by burying himself like a beetle. But this time, because they went back home to reconvene and stuff, uh, Reed Richards informed them both that beetles can bury themselves. So if real life beetles can do it, then obviously this guy can do it. So they look for a hole this time. They find him in the hole. Uh, the human torch throws a ring of fire into the hole, which forces the beetle to come out because he has no other option. Once he pops out, the thing grabs him. No fuss, no muss. They hand him over to the police. And the end of the story is those two dudes who've been razzing him the whole time are now impressed. They ask for autographs, but whoops, the human torch accidentally lights the paper on fire and the thing accidentally snaps the pen. The end. Although there is a cameo with uh, uh, Stan and Carl, who also think Human Torch and Thing are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So Carl Burgos. Actually, let me read that. So there's this little, little caption at the end. It says, and there you have it, friends. It was a real pleasure for us to have Carl Burgos illustrate this story after an absence of so many years. And we hope that you got the kick out of it that we did. And then it goes into what next issue is going to be. So it's kind of neat that he got a little cameo. Yeah, and then yeah, like you said, Stanley and Carl Burgos are, are sitting there talking about how um, awesome they are. Mm -hmm. uh, although Carl maybe not because he says Stan is prejudiced. Um, 
So, what did you think of Carl's art in this? I, well, it was better than the Human Torch or Marvel Comics number one. Yeah. That's for sure. But it's also been, what, 20 years? At least, yeah, 25. And, and style is different. So, I don't know. It didn't really – it was didn't blow me away, but it was no, like, better or worse than the regular guy we have on there who is mm-hmm. – uh, which is um, Dick Ayers. Dick Ayers. So, in fact, maybe Dick Ayers inking him is just basically like covering for any deficiencies he had at this point. I thought his layouts were pretty fun. His face work is sometimes pretty great. Sometimes his face work is not so great. And his thing usually looks pretty off model. Yeah, he's a little less big. Yeah. Or it, you know what he looks like? You ever see that movie Enemy Mine? No. Oh, you should see that movie. Anyway, somebody out there knows what I'm talking about. The alien in that movie. That's what the thing looks like. But just like on that last page, the thing just doesn't quite look like the thing. Yeah. A lot of guest artists seem to get the thing wrong. Right. Maybe it's a, you know, like Kirby designs these characters that people can't do. Like you can't do Thor's costume right and you can't do the thing. Have you read Beetle stories before? I thought, I think of the Beetle as a Spider-Man villain. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the only thing I can remember is he was part of this group that was like hired, either hired by Silver Sable or involved somehow with Silver Sable. And there was like a big fight in a amusement park and like high or Sandman came to help Spider-Man. I don't, that's all I can remember is like a two-parter. The deadly foes of Spider-Man. Something like that. I don't know. They were, like, they were called cause I think the, the speed demon guy was there and yeah, was there. Yeah. Yeah. They were totally beating him up. He was about to lose, and then Sandman showed up, and he was in the mood to, like, help and not be such a bad guy. Plus, Hydro-Man was there, and he hates Hydro-Man, so, like, he wanted to fight. So that kind of bailed Spider-Man out. That's all I really remember. So when I was a kid, um, that team – I didn't see that original Amazing Spider-Man story. I think it was Amazing Spider-Man. But that team came back together for a miniseries called The Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. Okay. And that was where I met the Beatle. And, of course, this is a very different look to that. Yes. So I first ran across this look when I was first exploring old comics again in my adulthood. And I got to Amazing Spider-Man 21, which is, I think, his next appearance. And um, I was like, wow. So suction fingers, huh? (laughs) Well, the Beetle. Okay, so the Beetle you and I know is more like a full suit of armor. Still purple and green, but a full suit of armor. And I believe he had all five fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a slimmer, like normal looking head. And this beetle is like a dude who looks like he's just wearing kind of a baggy jumpsuit. And for, some re- and for some reason only has three fingers with major suction cups on the end. And yeah, like a bucket uh, helmet or something. And giant steel wings that are supposed to somehow enable him to fly. Yeah. And I think he keeps the wings, doesn't he? But um, They become something. more streamlined. And if I remember the design correctly... They're more like an actual insect where the hard shell is more just like a cover okay, yeah. for the wings inside. Right. And so he'll have like these longer, slender wings that come out. And probably are motorized that actually like flap or something. And, something to get him around, yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't super impressed with his showing here. And I think he probably makes a better Spider-Man villain because any animal-based villain is generally a better Spider-Man villain. Um, but he, yeah, it's like I kind of made fun of it, but it's the same... I feel like it's the same motivation we've already read of just this guy who wants notoriety. And for some reason, inventing a really cool armor that you could use for good purposes is not good enough. Right. You have to like be he bad. Has this, he has this helmet that like is a power source and he can use it to do stuff. And he uses it you know, to power 
wings or a suit or something. But he also makes a comment that he manipulates the wings with his arms. Uh-huh. So he has to work out because the wings are really heavy. So it almost <laughs> sounds like he's using his arms to fly his wings, which but is not going to work. Yet every picture showing him has like his arms outstretched, like he's just zooming around like the Falcon. Right. So, yeah, that is weird. Um, I do don't know. You, um, do we think that Alicia and Doris are friends? Or do you think the guys just, like, ask them to awkwardly keep each other company while the guys get dressed? I think that's a 60s thing. Like, the girls all go powder their nose together. And just find something to talk about because they're, they have to be together because they're girls. I mean, they kind of have stuff in common. It's not very often that you meet another girl who probably is dating a hot-headed superhero, and both of these guys are the immature members of the Fantastic Four. This is true. So, I mean, it's funny because, like, those guys, those those jerks for some reason that feel like razzing uh, the thing and thinking that's a good idea. Um, John, even Johnny at first is like, hey, thing, just don't worry about it. And then they start making fun of Johnny, too, and then suddenly his hand's all, like, on fire and he's going to kill them. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> like these guys are too powerful to just be like reacting to any old thing. But so I had a few little little comments that I, I thought about. Um, Reed like signals the torch on page three, and he says, "Attention, torch and thing, leader one calling. Strange figure report." And I'm like, "Leader one, really? <laughs> is that your code name now, Gobot?" <laughs> that is kind of weird. They've never done that before. Who else would be calling? I don't know. Like on the on the Fantastic Four comm signal, I and and who's leader two? Yeah, who is second in command? Or do they do that on teams? I don't know. I don't know that the Fantastic Four have a second in command. I mean, they couldn't decide if Reed was their first in command for a long time. Yeah, that was the problem. So like, if Reed ever gets incapacitated for any length of time, like I feel like Sue should be second in command, but I also feel like Thing and Human Torch would not listen. Well, we know what would happen if Reed got incapacitated. Sue would go to tears and stay by his bedside and be, and, oh. you know, and then Thing and Torch would just go haphazardly out there as right. two separate solo acts and get knocked out. That's what happens. That's true. That is what we happens. We saw that. Yeah. So he just better not be incapacitated that often. Um, I don't know why the wings are covered in asbestos because they're steel. Well, I want to say like his goal is to beat the Fantastic Four. Like it wasn't. The whole robbing thing was just to attract them or something. Right. But, but like, did I make that up? Because I can't find where he says that. But I thought he said that. I thought he just got interrupted. I thought he was just going out there and do some Because look at page crime. four in the bottom. It says, this should bring the thing and the human torch on the run. And then I'll hand them the surprise of their life. So I was, I was thinking he's just prepared to fight. And that's why he coated it with asbestos. Even though I don't know that you could punch somebody with a boxing glove that has asbestos. And somehow that puts out the fire. But... I'm just kind of skimming over some of his his you know monologuing. Uh-huh. I think he's just set out to be the most awesome super. A new adventurer is born. Children were marked this day as the birth of the supremely powerful beetle. I remember that. Where did he say bottom, that at? That's page two. Okay. And bottom of page three, he sees the Fantastic Two and is like, "What a stroke of luck! It's the Fantastic Four themselves, or part of them. It appears I'll begin my career with a smash." Right there, you go. So he wasn't out to get them. So yeah, why would he coat his wings with that? Then that's sort of weird. And also, like the wings are made out of steel. That's pretty fireproof. Yeah, I think they use asbestos like kryptonite or something. Because why would just smacking the Human Torch with asbestos coated things like? make him fall out of the sky and die, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How does asbestos work? It doesn't catch on fire, but does it put out fire? 
it's just fibrous substance that is really resistant to flame. Right. It doesn't catch on fire easily. Um, so they th- act like they're pouring water all over him or something. Right. Um, it's It doesn't work like that. No. <laughs> now, looking at the art and ignoring the dialogue. Mm-hmm. What's that? You're right. It looks looking like he just the- got punched. Yeah, he just gets swatted across the face. Which, by the way, that reminds me of the whole burger business in the beginning. I feel like that's one of those instances where they didn't know what was going on, and so they just made up dialogue also. Yeah, I was very confused by that burger comment. He's like, I'll meet you in a minute. I forgot to tell that gal I want my burger nearly raw. None of that greasy kid stuff for me. Right. I'm like, hey, okay, a nearly raw burger. Okay, that's a little gross, but whatever. But that means it's not greasy? Well, in addition, he never actually leaves, and... I don't I think they're trying to make it like the next panel he's still standing there. But then yeah. like then like the human torch shoots something through a window so he's obviously in a different room at that point. So I think whoever the dialoguer was was like looking at this art going, I have no idea what's going on, so I'm going to make up something. The tor- the thing leaves for some reason and goes to another room and then he comes back out cuz he has to lift the building up. Um yeah. Oh, that's was- not the th- that's not the thing in the middle panel. That's just a dude. Oh, is that just a dude? That's just a dude colored orange. Whoops. Yeah. So the thing does leave, and okay. then later he's like, oh, Johnny's fireball, he must need me. Well, that was just all weird. Like, there's a yeah. supervillain, and they're just kind of like, oh, he's not worth our time, so I'm going to go deal with my burger while you take care of this dude. <laughs> it's weird. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, um, I don't have a whole lot else to say, except that the ending was kind of cute. Um, yes. Where is it? Page 14. Uh, yeah, the ending was cute with, with Stan and Carl looking after... Th- because, you know, these are Stan's creations based on Carl's creations. They're, uh-huh. they're pretty great. So I'm going to put you on the spot because I don't know. Maybe you do. Did Carl uh, uh, Burgos do anything else around this time? Or did they just give him this one shot and then say goodbye? That is a fantastic question. I do have Mike's Amazing World handy. I can give you an answer in about two ticks. Um, because he has the list of credits now, this is 1964, Human Torch, The Birth of the Beetle. Yep. He's going to do three Giant Man stories. As, oh. we go, as we go to the end of the year, he's going to do three Giant Man stories, and then that's going to be it. I wonder how old he is at this point. But then again, you know, Stan was in the Golden Age, so he couldn't. I'm not, I don't know why I'm picturing that he's ancient, because he could be the exact same age Stan is at this point, for all I know. Except that Stan was a kid in, oh, the, in the Timely Era. But a kid, um, he was old enough to be an editor, though. I don't know. My understanding is that was a pretty resented position because he was so young. Now, Carl was born in 1916. So at, right. this, at this time, he's all, you know, pushing 50. Okay, so that's not old. I say that because I'm almost, I'm not almost 50, but I'm almost 50. Right. That's my next decade. Uh, <laughs> he had, and he had six, uh, six years on Stan. Okay. So I wonder what he's just been doing. I don't know. I don't know. Out there living life, being a person. He does not have I mean, he was doing stuff in the fifties. He's was only he? been out of he's only been out of the loop for a handful of years. He had regular credits up until mid nineteen sixty. Well now I'm looking at his torch and I'm realizing there's no face there's no face on it. So it's like Old school torch. Yeah, old school torch. I just noticed that. That's kinda cool. All right, shall we move on? Let's see. I am ready to move on. Get my but notes up here. We have to the uh the next uh Oh, same- I was just going to say before we go on to one, one more thing. Okay. Um, how did you like Thing and Torch teaming up? Um, it's fun. I like their uh, 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 relationship in the Fantastic Four, so why not carry that over here? 
Um, that said, it's like the Human Torch has really not had a lot of solo adventures in this book. Right. And it's going to become pretty – it is going to officially become a Torch theme thing-up story before the, before the strip ends. And as so we've I, also said, the Human Torch is treated differently by his teammates in this – in, in, in Strange Tales than he is in the Fantastic Four. So in this particular case, he isn't because there's no Reed Richards or Sue to boss him around. But um, yeah, sometimes it's weird when the Fantastic Four is in this series. Yeah, because he kind of gets juvenilized in this. Uh-huh. Whereas in Fantastic Four, he kind of gets elevated a bit. Yeah, but here they just acted like brothers who love, hate each other, which is pretty much standard fare for them. So it was fun. Yeah, um, I, I I actually really liked this issue. There were a few zany moments, but I thought it was fun. I thought the torch and thing interaction was fun. Um, this does set a precedent because, you know, we've seen the thing and the torch. They have their own little special friendship on the team. Um, but them being a, tu- a duo doing team ups just themselves, that's an idea that, you know, crops up every now and then in the Marvel Universe. And there was even in modern era like in the last five years there was a marvel two-in-one series that was just a thing in the torch you know if you think about it it's kind of interesting like reed and ben were friends in college and the war um reed and sue are of course engaged and later married sue and johnny are brother and sister so really johnny and ben are the only like non-related in any way kind of members of this team and yet they probably end up being like besties Right. Or the ones that hang out the most with each other. Like, at least as far as I picture it. I don't picture, I don't know. I don't picture Johnny and Reed hanging out that much, but Johnny and Thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Hmm. Johnny probably doesn't have that much emotional connection to Reed beyond just like you're a member of my family. Yeah, you're dating my sister. Right, you're dating my sister and you're of an age with the Thing. But to me, the relationship with the Thing feels more brotherly, but the relationship with Reed feels more paternal. Yeah. Even though they're brother-in-laws. Even though they're brothers-in-law, yeah. Yeah, brothers-in-law, yeah. That's a better way to say that. Um, uh, just, yeah. No, it's true, though. Uh, okay, next. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, in The Challenge of Loki. Same dates, because same book. Written by Stan Miracle Man Lee. Illustrated by Steve Marvel Man Ditko. Wow. Inked by George Mystical Man Bell. And lettered by Art Magical Man Semek. I see what they did there. Extra bonus attraction. The guest star of this tale is the mighty Thor. Before you get into it, Mm -hmm. I read those credits and I was like, wait a second. Aren't Miracle Man and Marvel Man the same person? They are now, yeah. Because I, uh, you know, seeing those, of course, sent me down a rabbit hole of going on the internet and looking up information about Marvel Man and Miracle Man and trying to find availability of their comics. Because I'd never read like the Alan Moore revamp of, of Marvel Man and and because supposedly that's like, you know, good early British Marvel stuff. But I never read it. So maybe I will someday. Yeah, I was just like, I've been, because uh, 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 Captain Marvel, or not Captain Marvel, Shazam just came out mm-hmm. last week or two weeks ago or whatever. And uh, Alex Ross did this really awesome lithograph of every yes. sort of homage to that character. And I've been trying to figure out who all those people are and, and have been unsuccessful. But one of them is... Marvel slash Miracle Man. And that's actually a really interesting story that I guess Marvel now owns, but I don't know if we should delve into that. But if you've never looked it up, it's quite the uh, copyright uh, 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 homage ripoff debacle. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Um, Okay. So back to speaking of ripoffs, back to the guest star is the Mighty Thor, who's a ripoff of Captain Marvel. Um, Let's see. 
so how did this story go? Oh, yeah. So Doctor Strange is doing Doctor Strangey things. And meanwhile, Loki is doing Loki things, which in this case is always being stuck in Asgard and spying on Earth. And he finds out that there's a guy named Doctor Strange who's really powerful. He's like, hey, maybe I could trick this Doctor Strange to help me out. So he puts on these fake bindings all over his body and he sends his astral projection or his astral form or whatever he calls it, his avatar, I guess, to Doctor Strange's little uh, 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 place. And he's like, hey, Thor's evil. Turns out, I know you think he's good because of the Avengers and stuff, and but no, really, he's evil. Scan my chains and stuff. So Doctor Strange does, and he's like, wow, those chains are really evil. But really, he's scanning Loki, and Loki's really evil. So he just misunderstood. And he's like, hey, can you help me out? Because Thor is really powerful, and his ma- his hammer is enchanted, and I can't do anything. But look, I have this strand from of leather from his uh, you know, little thong thing that dangles on the handle. So can you use that to do anything? And of course, he's the master of mysticism or master of the mystic arts as of this uh, uh, issue. And he can. So he does some awesome conjury spell thingy and this big magic iron hand comes out and we cut to Thor who's like minding his own business, just flying around. And the hand grabs the hammer and pulls it right out, which like no one has ever been able to do so far in our readings as far as I can remember. Um, And Thor starts falling to his death and Loki like... Rubs his hands together and says, ha ha, that's the best. And meanwhile, Doctor Strange, who's no doof, starts thinking, this seems weird to me. So let me do a little harder investigating. He's like, look, this amulet, it doesn't have any evil on it. The evil's coming from you. So then they get into a fight. And actually, Loki is wicked powerful because he's a god. And they even make a point of saying, like, his Loki avatar that's on Earth is not as powerful as the Loki Loki that's in Asgard. But even still, he's got Doctor Strange cornered, and he's all he can do to put up shields fast enough, and he tries to duplicate himself a la uh, Infinity War. None of that's working. He even does, like, an astral projection. Oh, he finally does, like, an astral projection, like, sneak. Or what does he call it? Protoplasm? Ectoplasm form? And sneaks underneath the the floor and comes around on the other side and he releases Thor's hammer just in time for it to return to Thor who's been falling to his death this entire time I guess and anyway Thor gets the hammer and he's like only something crazy magical could do that to me so I'm going to use my hammer to pinpoint the source because that's one of his awesome powers and Loki knows that that's happening he can somehow sense that his brother's coming for him so after throwing some more bolts and stuff at at Doctor Strange, who's really getting tired and his energy shields are cracking and he's about to die. But then short Thor kind of shows up right outside the building and Loki's like, yeeks, I'm out of here. And he summons his astral form back, at which point Thor can no longer sense what the source of the evil was. And so he just shrugs and leaves, never knowing that Doctor Strange just like, you know, hurt and also saved his life at the same time. The end. The end. And it actually says in the beginning of this, and I forgot to read that. What does it say? It says, drawn in the somewhat different Ditko style. In fact, it's so blame different, we're trying to hide it from jolly Jack Kirby. Yeah. And I thought that one, A, was kind of funny. And B, I didn't really notice much of a difference until the last page when they show a close-up of his face. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's not a Kirby Thor. Yeah, Thor does look a bit different with Ditko drawing it. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that like, I know Stan would make comments that did not make Steve Ditko happy. He didn't really like 
some of the teasing that he got from Lee because his relationship with Lee was tense. Uh-huh. So I'm just wondering if this was one of them. I imagine relationships with Kirby were never great either. I yeah. could totally be just making that up. But wasn't Kirby – like if you think about it, Kirby is kind of in charge of designing this entire universe minus this little Ditko corner. Mm-hmm. So I imagine – and he wasn't like a subtle guy either. So I, I can see like him being annoying maybe. Maybe, maybe. Um, of course, Doctor Strange is portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Babadook Canterbury. <laughs> and, um, you know, I kind of love this splash page, though. Uh-huh. That has, like, you know, Loki and Doctor Strange throwing, you know, Kamehameha's at each other. Yeah. And the, like, mystical hand pulling the, the hammer out of Thor's hand. It's just a really neat composition. Yeah, I like this story. It was actually, you know a change of pace from the usual three different kind of stories we get on this. And it's the first time the Marvel universe has crossed over in his story. Mm-hmm. He this was, is... he was in the fantastic four, but no one's ever come on his end of things. Exactly. So that was fun. Um, I liked it. It was like Loki is way superior in magic to him. I don't know if that's still the case anymore, but I think makes it sense. should be because Loki's yeah. a god. Yeah, that's what I figure too. It's like that kind of makes sense. Like I even kind of skipped over. I'm looking at it now. There was that purple dimension thing that no mm-hmm. human being, no human being can escape this. And he's like, yeah, but I'm not human. And he just breaks it. That was really right. cool. I thought it was interesting that uh, Doctor Strange is doing levitation practice without his cloak of levitation, which maybe oh. is why he gets a cloak of levitation because levitating is hard. Or why he has to practice levitation, because if he had his cloak on, he shouldn't have to do anything, right? Yeah, well, we haven't even seen the cloak yet. He's just been that blue suit. Yeah, that's true. Wow, I never realized that. You're right. He's missing the red. In fact, Uh his blue suit now has the popped collar that it did not used to have. Uh Uh-huh. Changing it up a little bit. Changing it up a little bit. Uh, The last time we saw Loki, I had said that the next time we saw him would be in the Avengers 7, and this happened. I was like, oh, wait. Um, But the Avengers 7 wouldn't come out until the next week. For whatever reason, though, chronology lists tend to put this story after that one. So that's why I was confused on the dates. This is, I don't know that there's any particular reason why they have to go in any particular order, but that's why I didn't mention this one. When was the last time we saw Loki? Um, With the Enchantress? Was that again? When was the last time we saw Loki? With the Enchantress? Ah, I know the next time we see him is going to be with the Enchantress. I think the last time was too. Enchantress and Executioner. Didn't he start that whole business? Yes, he did. So, yeah, I mean, back then he was still stuck on Asgard too. So there's really no reason why this can't be the next story. But but, but we've talked about this before. Loki's stuck on Asgard. He can see from afar. He can cast spells from afar. And he can send visuals of himself from afar. So what exactly does imprisoning him do? Nothing. Odin is Nothing. horrible or Loki is so awesome that he gets around rules or something. The only thing it does is make him pee in that one spot. Like everything else <laughs> he can guess. do from afar. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I guess his form on Earth, like they said, isn't as powerful. So maybe that's a big drag for him. But it still seems pretty good. I like the part on page three where he says, My spells will not work against so alien an object. If only I had something made of the same material. And Loki says, Here, I have carried this for ages. It is a sliver from the leather thong which dangles from his hammer. And Doctor Strange is like, What the hell, Loki? Why do you have a piece of Thor's thong in your pocket forever? <laughs> That's my favorite part of the story. Yeah. It's that really is a little weird, weird, Loki. It's a little bit gross. And the, the thing is, forever for him could be forever. Right. Yeah. 
But like, then again, he's a magician also, so like maybe it makes sense to grab things when you can. Someday I'll use this. And I thought we had decided or established already that nothing could take the hammer out of Thor's hand. Right. Is 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 magic like just the exception to that? No matter what the magic is, magic can take his hammer away. Well, and I I say that like the first time he fought Loki, there was even a line that magic doesn't work on gods. Right. So I guess Doctor Strange is really awesome. He is. Is that popped collar? It must be. I mean, he put a lot of effort into it. Whatever this spell is. Speaking of spells, he rhymes a spell on page seven. Does he really? Um, Hammer of Thor, return to your master. Though he was falling, you travel faster. So that's the one thing that's kind of funny about this issue is like there's three pages of fighting as Thor's falling. I figure I feel like he should have fallen by now. Yeah. Okay. So that's a little bit weird um, dialoguing because no sooner are the dramatic words uttered than the iron glove fades into the nothingness from whence it had come and time spins back until before Thor's fall is finished. I didn't catch that. I think you're right. I think the scripter was like, that's a lot of stuff happening while he's falling. We got to have a time travel here. Okay, That's they saved the themselves. Answer. I didn't even notice that. Cool. That's a major spell then. Wow. Yeah. You've, you've, no matter how fast he's falling, you travel faster, even if it means going negative speed back <laughs> in time. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So a new power is that uh, Thor can, uh, uh, can hunt down energy sources, I guess. Yeah, something like that. What does he say? Um, Only a form of enchantment could have wrestled it from me by now. But now, by the magic Uru power it contains, it will lead me to the source of that enchantment. So, interesting. Yeah, I think his hammer can do whatever he wants it to. Yeah, Make that's me a why it's cool. cheese sandwich, and the hammer makes him a grilled cheese sandwich. That would be awesome. I've right? never wanted his hammer more now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like seeing the purple dimension. We talked about how the purple dimension keeps coming up in weird places. It's uh-huh. going to keep doing that. Did he just break it? Break the dimension? Or how... I, can't, I don't remember how the dimension works. Does he just cast a spell and, and then put people in the dimension? Or is there some sort of like crystal involved or something? Um, he went to the purple dimension last oh, that's time right. and then came back from it. Now oh, he's yeah. just like, purple dimension sounds cool. You get trapped there. And Loki's like, <laughs> nope. Wow. So he can just send people to the negative zone now. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thor says, suddenly my Uru hammer tingles no more. Whatever danger has been here is now gone. Perhaps I shall never know what really transpired, but I feel that someday I will learn the truth. No, you feel wrong, Thor. You will never learn what's going <laughs> I was going to say, are you going to tell me that in Thor number 188, they come back to this? and uh, If they do, I don't know about that it. That was you? <laughs> well, you've read them all, so I thought maybe you, right. already, you had an answer. But yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, Walter Simonson I, I just left this hanging. As huh? far as I know, this is just like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the continuity he could have used. Yeah. Missed opportunity. And, um, you know... Doctor Strange on the last panel says, Some omnipotent power has so arranged the universe that good must always prevail. For every mighty villain, there is a mightier hero. And it's like, no, no, that's not how life works at all. We do not no. have good always winning. That is, that's, there are lots of bad people out there who don't get stopped. Yeah, I don't, I've never liked that either. There, that reminds me of a, that uh, a more modern telling of when the JLA meet Earth 2 or earth uh not earth two earth three or whatever um the the forever evil version or something back in uh was it oh, i can't remember was what it the it was earth called. two series it was, you know it was one of those geez i like when i bring stuff up and then don't remember anything about it but uh frank quietly drew it i think and grant morrison wrote it and like 
there was a conceit that on in Earth three everything ha- is is skewed towards evil, so evil always wins there. And in our world, or our world, quote unquote, Earth Prime or Earth One or whatever the heck Earth it was at the time, it's the opposite. So they lose when they go over there, and the JLA lose when they go to Earth three. So I didn't like that either. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't like know. I don't like fate. Yeah, fate. Maybe that's why I don't like like magic that much. But well, speaking of things we don't like, <laughs> Fantastic Four number twenty nine. Spoilers. The Fantastic Four twenty nine. Sorry, kids. Just to you know, it's been a while since we have a doozy like this one. The fabulous FF will never forget that day. It started on Yancey Street. It's a pretty great cover. It has him, you know, walking through a forlorn alley with the watcher floating in the background and uh-huh. everything looks all, you know, mysterious and ominous. Like it could be cool. Like it could be cool. Yep. Written with a dash of greatness by Stan Lee, drawn with a hint of glory by Jack Kirby, inked with a touch of drama by Chic Stone, lettered with a bottle of India ink by <laughs> S. Rosen. Clever. All right, so our four heroes are walking through town, and they must have missed a left turn because suddenly they're on Yancey Street, and the thing steps in gum, and they get cabbages tossed at them, and somebody squirts sneezing powder at the invisible girl, and they're like, holy cow, we can tackle Galactus. Well, we can't tackle Galactus. We haven't done that yet. Holy cow, we can tackle the Mole Man, but Yancey Street's too much. We got to get out of here. So hop in their fantastic car and fly away. Now... As they fly away, there's this weird red little robot camera drone that follows after them. They go to their headquarters and they're like, you know, I wonder if Yancey Street is secretly controlled by a supervillain. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Let's go through our supervillain files. And you have pictures of all the different supervillains they've fought over the years and... and um, Thing is like, you know, I'm really mad because Alicia might not like me if she could see me. I'm going to break this big thing in a fit of anger. And Alicia shows up and we have this like really half touching and half questionable moment where like Alicia thinks that the thing is only pity dating her because she's blind. And the thing thinks Alicia wouldn't really love him because he's ugly. And they're like, but we're made for each other. And they they like love and kiss and. Um, yeah, there's probably tongue involved. So, um, they get another present from Yancey Street with some sort of, like, bomb or something in it. And they're like, hey, that's not funny. Let's go back out to Yancey Street and get angry at them. So they go back out there and they get attacked by apes. Sure enough, it is those apes. The super apes. The three apes from issue number 13, followed soon by the Red Ghost. Not to be confused with the ghost of unspecified color from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, so, yeah. The Red Ghost and his super apes, they tell the Fantastic Four, I forget why they all go on the ship together. If the Red Ghost like has a, I guess he has a like, gunpoint or something, so they have to do what he says. Hmm. He's like, let's go on my ship and go fight somewhere. So they fly into space, they fly to the moon, and they land on the moon. And um, the Fantastic Four... Uh, there, of course, the moon has no atmosphere, so they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? And Invisible Girl puts a um, force field up around them to keep their air together. And they're like, okay, well, um, I can stretch up, and oh, I can't see anything. And the thing's like, well, let's uh, let's go pounding through this mountain, through the force field. So through the force field starts pounding through the mountain until they get to air conditioning. Yes, under the surface of the moon, 
there's a tunnel with air conditioning because that tunnel is leading them to the home of the watcher so the watcher's there and he's like yo you know i'm too busy not interfering in another (laughs) galaxy so y'all could totally chill at my pad but like don't touch stuff no reed don't touch that it's turning you into a super evolved human and reed's like oh crap better put that down and watcher's like yeah i've got all this really cool stuff you can't touch even this one like weird tall structure that like I don't know what it is. I, I found it on the side of the road near Haverty's, and I'm just like, what is this thing? And um, so then the Red Ghost lands, and he and the Super Apes attack the Watcher's home, attack the Fantastic Four, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight. For kind of no reason, except that the Red Ghost woke up that day and decided to be a douche. So in the Watcher's home, there's this weird portal that goes into like the land of Giant Red Spiral, and they push the Red Ghost into it, and he fades into the land of the Giant Red Spiral, and um yeah they win the apes meanwhile they're like woohoo we're free from the red ghost they pilot the ship on their own away from the moon and back towards earth and then the watcher's like okay um it was cool you hanging out my house and everything but you sort of broke my windows and messed up my stuff and blam now you're back on earth the end so i think this story is a lot of whys with a smidge of how Mm. like the first and only how I can think of is how did the red ghost get out of his predicament that we left him in? They don't say. Because if you remember, his apes turned on him and hauled him away to theoretically tear him apart or oh, kill yeah, him. eat him for breakfast. Or right. eat him or something because he was mean to them and wasn't feeding them. And So it's like now he's their leader and they're listening to him again. And they don't really explain how or why. You could just, I guess, headcanon that as he manipulated them or something. Whatever. He got but, them to McDonald's. Yeah. But also he's been on the moon this entire time. Um, I guess he had his own he says? ship. He's been living on the moon? Well, I don't know what he's been doing. But here's, the, here's the, where all the whys are coming into place. Why... They don't go to Yancey Street on accident. They go there because there was a crime problem and they decided the Fantastic Four should deal with it, even though Sue's kind of like, really? Isn't that, you know, not really our thing? But Thing was like, yes, it's my thing. Get it? Um, <laughs> um, and then, so the first round, I think, is supposed to be Yancey Street Gang people, uh, 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 which means the Fantastic Four just got beat up by a street gang. So, right. So that's a why. But then the second round is they say something like, so this is what I don't understand. So the Red Ghost initially went up to the moon to claim the moon for communism or something, right? It was like a space race issue. And in, in, in the issue 13? Yeah. Yeah, there was that. And he also was looking for the cosmic ray belt that gave the Fantastic Four powers. He was deliberately trying to get superpowers. So he comes back. He somehow knows about the Yancey Street problem. And so he disguises himself as a Yancey Street problem, and they go to attack it only to get outnumbered. Johnny gets captured in a white bag, and they have to do what he says. But he's talking about, like, when you defeated me on the moon months ago, I swore I'd return and get my revenge. And now the time has come. So, yeah, A, where has he been? B, why didn't he just claim the moon? Because they left, so he could have just claimed it. Um, I don't know. Why come back and pick a fight? And C, why do you have to bring them all the way back to the moon to fight them? Yeah, and why are you even bothering with the Yancey Street gag as a ruse? That too, yeah. Just attack them. Yeah. I don't know. So that was just all weird. Once they get on the moon and they start fighting, it's okay. But just the whole, you know, I don't know, pretext of like, 
this plan he has was just weird. Yeah, and and they're in they're on the planet they're on the moon rather and they're in that bubble and like of course they're trying to conserve air, so of course the thing goes into like high level strenuous activity and starts you know carving up all their assuming that the thing breathes right who knows maybe he doesn't breathe um, but or, he's like punching yeah through a mountain and he's also punching through a mountain through her force field which I feel like is like not yeah. good for her. And if you really, I mean, you could argue, I guess that re, or thing is so strong that maybe he needs less oxygen than we do or something like that. But even still, there's like in this panel on 14, where like he's handing Reed rocks to deal with. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, how does Reed even pick up these boulders that the thing can pick up? But anyway, yeah. Um, my other why or rather how, or something, some sort of question word is the apes flying away. In the ship, <laughs> yeah, on their own, yeah. Because last time we knew they had like abilities, but they were still just acting like trained among trained apes, pretty much. Yeah, I don't know what. God, I guess. Yeah. They, and how are they coming back? So that's all just weird. I'm not a huge Red Ghost fan. I don't think. No, no. See, the the weird thing is that like in my memory, he's cooler than he is. <laughs> he hasn't been cool yet. No. And. Ever since I reread issue 13, when the Fantasticast covered it, mm-hmm. I read it and I didn't really enjoy it. And then Stephen Lacey says, the Red Ghost and his stupid, stupid apes. <laughs> and now every time I see it, that's exactly what I hear in my head and exactly how I feel. Especially, yeah, this story. Red Ghost and his two stupid apes and one baboon. Yeah. Um. Also the Watcher. I may not be allowed to interfere, but I am allowed to rationalize how I'm going to interfere. Yeah, that's almost as bad as like Daredevil discussing his powers for me. It's like I'm just really getting tired of the Watcher rationalizing everything and explaining everything. Right. In a way that's supposed to be logical but isn't, and nobody's fooled. I get the impression that like all this stuff when he says, I'm not going to interfere, but I am going to fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. that all of that fill in the blank stuff... The Rather Watcher's like, dude, that's totally interfering, and that's why you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Even talking to them is interfering. Yes. Doing anything. Anything is interfering. There's there's the scientific concept that you cannot observe a system mm-hmm. without affecting the system. Like, it's impossible to, like, completely right. not exist in a situation that you were existing in. Especially if you're a huge, giant, bald guy in a toga. Yeah. But I feel like he can observe things in, in invisible and yet chooses not to most of the time. Chooses not to. Um, I also think, was it, what'd you say it was Fantastic Four 13 last time we saw these cats? Mm-hmm. Um, didn't he like kick them out of his house then too? Like with the <laughs> rationalization that like, I'm not allowed to interfere, but you're not allowed to be in my home. Right. So that's still interfering. You're supposed to let them just do whatever they want in your house, actually. I did like all the gizmo. Like, you know, I don't even know what half this stuff does. And Reed, of course, can't help but play with it and turns into a weird supreme being monkey thing. And that was kind of fun. That was fun. But, yeah, uh, this might be the fastest we've ever gone through a Fantastic Four issue because I have nothing else to say. Well, what would you think of the contrived um, she loves me, she loves me not five seconds? That was a little – like, that seemed like an important moment that they just shoved into this book. The whole um, – Ben and Alicia thing. Uh huh. Yeah, that was weird. Well, it, it's weird because, like, okay, people who are blind don't need pity love, right? Right. And so, 
I don't know. I feel like they're a little bit fetishizing her blindness. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand the thing. He is monstrous. He is concerned about, you know, not being appreciative if she'd actually see him. And maybe there's a legitimate concern there, although she has done her best to off- offset it. But like with her, it's like, I don't know. They're, they're doing some really weird writing on it. And I'm not sure that if I were uh, a blind person or something along those lines, I would really appreciate it that much. Like last time he talked about his relationship, he didn't want Reed to fix him because he's like, Alicia loves me for who I am. So I like being me. Yeah. And there's that part too. It's like, and now, now all of a sudden it's, she only thinks she likes me, but she doesn't know the real me. And that's fine. You could argue that people have a wide range of emotions and are low one day and high another. Right. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So fine. But as he's thinking about breaking up with her, she comes in and says, I have to break up with you, which just seemed like, so like coincidental and shoehorned. And she, he's like, why? Because, because you don't really love me. You're just pity. She's like, I don't pity you. And she's like, Oh, I really love you. And then Sue's like, boy, Reed, you could really take a page from these romantic too. It's like, don't actually take a page from either of them because they're crazy. Right. Yeah. So this is weird. It is weird. So we got one more. Yes. Spider-Man. And that's me again, isn't it? Oh, boy. It is you again on Spider-Man. It's so weird when I have to cover Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man number 15, where he fights Kraven the Hunter. But there's another floaty head that says, also the chameleon. That's the thing that they like have in their craw right now. They're just going to throw like extra people in the story. Yeah, as many as they can. It's like it's like round sequels of of superhero movies. How many villains can we fit in this thing? So we're still on May twelfth. This book is covered in August. Um, it is written by Stan Lee because we couldn't afford Mickey Spillane. Illustrated by Steve Gitko because Picasso was out of town. Lettered by Art Simek because his name fits this space. Awesome. It's called Craven the Hunter. Spider Man. Nice. Upside down splash page of him interrupting some criminals. They all try and escape, but he catches most of them except for one guy who can change the color of his suit. And he puts on a hat, kind of looks like J. Jonah Jameson, and just walks away because Spider-Man doesn't recognize him. He's like, hey, where'd that one guy go? I lost him. Oh, well. Turns out that guy's the chameleon. He goes home and he's like, oh, that's Spider-Man. He's always a thorn in my side. But of course I can't defeat him because he's got spider powers. What can I do? Hey, don't I have a best friend who's awesome at hunting animals and stuff? Yeah, I'll call him. So now we cut to J. Jonah Jameson grabbing Betty and Peter and going to the docks where they're going to meet Craven the Hunter, who's arriving in America. I guess he's so famous, people actually know who he is and he's newsworthy. Unfortunately, also at the dock is Peter's classmates because they too want to see the infamous Craven the Hunter. And, and Liz is like all over Peter. He's not really inviting her to be all over him, but she's like, oh, Petey, isn't this thrilling? It's so amazing. And, oh, I need to adjust your tie and fix your hair and stuff. And Betty is not having any of that. She hates it. Um, And Peter kind of just looks embarrassed and doesn't know what to do about it because he's only 16. So anyway, that luckily gets interrupted because, of course, all the animals that Craven brings over on the boat escape. Peter makes an excuse, turns to Spider-Man to solve the problem, but he doesn't have to because Craven goes toe-to-toe with the gorillas and he picks up the snakes and he puts everything back in their boxes and their cages to demonstrate how powerful and awesome he is. So Peter's pretty impressed um, until J. Jonah Jameson asks Craven, why are you in town? And Craven says, because I'm going to hunt and kill Spider-Man. <laughs> so Peter's like, nope. 
no longer interested. Even J. Jonah Jameson, who hates Spider-Man, still thinks that sounds horrible because it's kind of, you know, illegal and stuff to go around hunting human beings. But just a bit. Anyway, so uh, Peter's bummed out. Luck on life. We cut to Craven and uh, the chameleon being buddy buddies coming up with a plan. And the plan is to stage another robbery and draw out Spider-Man, which works. Craven watches to to learn about his opponent and then confronts him as he's leaving the crime scene and they get into a big fight and Craven does pretty good and manages to like punch him in a way that like hurts his arm. And then at some point he, I think pricks him with like a poison dart or something like that really makes Spider-Man sick. So Spider-Man, you know, um, um, hauls booty and escapes and Craven's fine with that because he loves the hunt and anything that makes the hunt last longer. That's great. So he's not in any real hurry to finish it. Uh, Spider-Man goes home. He's panicking. Like, what the heck did this guy check me with? I'm going to try and sleep it off. The next day, he feels much better, but he still has weird shaking hands that he can't seem to hide. Uh, which he tries to do from Aunt May when she tells him that she is going to hook him up with uh, a, a neighbor's uh, 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 daughter? Mrs. Watson's daughter? Niece. Niece. Sorry. I knew it wasn't daughter. That didn't sound right. Yeah. Mrs. Watson's niece needs a date. And I volunteered you. And he's like, um, but I have already women problems. She's like, Peter Parker, you need to find a woman you can settle down and make babies with. And he's like, fine, Aunt May, fine, as long as you don't see my shaking hands. So he leaves. He goes to say hi to uh, uh, Betty. And she's like, oh, Petey, let me fix your tie and your hair. And he's like, oh, knock it off. Anyway, Craven the Hunter's there. I guess he's making a deal with uh, J. Jonah Jameson, who still thinks it's bad that he's, like, you know, trying to kill a human being and stuff. But he's also willing to get the story, I guess. Uh, Peter has shaky problems at school. Everybody kind of makes fun of him because, you know, he needs more of that. Then he tries to just go find Craven. Um, and he can't really swing right now because his hands are still so shaky. So he just runs around the city. He finds him walking through Central Park. But it turns out that's actually the chameleon kids because up till now, Spidey doesn't know the chameleon's involved. So he's 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 uh, tracking the chameleon while Craven is tracking him. And suddenly there's a net uh, that catches him. But he uses cool Peter Parker science and, like, finds the weak link and breaks it. But then... Craven puts this really cool, like, handcuff magnet thing on his, manages to put it on his wrist and his ankle, and they're drawn to each other. So it's like all Spider-Man can do to keep his arm and leg apart. Think Winter Soldier elevator scene or something like that. Um, so he's, like, kind of hopping around Central Park, like, struggling to not be hobbled. Um, but he finally figures out if he just dumps liquid version of his web into the joints of the cuffs that kills the magnets so at least that's not a problem anymore then he finds craven and unmasks him as the chameleon so now he's on to them both he decides to turn the tables um and he goes into the you know the central park bushes and stuff and using his spider sense and he's better at night and suddenly he's stalking craven with his cool like belt light and stuff and making craven run um which, of course, really annoys Craven because he wants to be the hunter. So finally he hides behind a rock and he tries to do this, you know, boo move, like pop out and surprise him. But Spider-Man has spider sense and that doesn't work. So then he starts to run away again and Spider-Man manages to create like a wall of web between two trees, which Craven runs into. And he's stuck and he leaves both of them there for the police. Uh, goes back, makes some money on some photographs. Betty says, gee, sorry, I was being weird about Liz. Uh, do you want to go out? And he's like, oh, I can't. He thinks to himself, I can't. I have to date that. I have to go out with that 
Watson niece, but he doesn't tell Betty that. He just says, I can't. I'm busy right now. He goes home. Aunt May says, bad news. They had to cancel. He's like, yay, let me call uh, let me call uh, uh, Betty. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want to date you now because you said no or something. So, okay, let me call Liz. Oh, Liz is with Flash Thompson. <sighs> what am I, Charlie Brown? And then, uh, you know, <laughs> Craven and, and Chameleon are deported. And the end. And the end. Yeah. Cool issue. So he's like, I'm going to hunt people and no one's like, um, <laughs> I mean, to, to Jonah's credit, yeah, he is. He's like, he is, um, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Evidently, I think he's going to like take cues from this idea because, you know, 10 issues from now, he has a robot created to go after Spider-Man and five issues from now, he makes a scorpion to go after Spider-Man. So, I mean, this is a, maybe this is a very informative moment for Jonah. See, it comes back to that, that, uh, the rules of law again. I'm back on the X-Men 2 Vanisher story, sadly. Where it's like, if you go on TV and say you're going to hunt somebody down and kill them, is that enough to do something about it? Or is that just talk? Well, freedom of speech only gets you so far, right? Because if you're actively threatening and reliably threatening somebody else's livelihood and safety, then that's, you know, but I that's mean, not good. Right. But like, well, first of all, it's just J. Jonah Jameson there. So it's not like he's on TV <laughs> or anything. Right. So it's like the cops aren't there or nothing like that. Nobody else heard him say this except that. But like, say like George Clooney was on TV and said he was going to hunt down and kill Brad Pitt and he meant it. Well, like, would anybody arrest him or talk to him or do anything unless he actually I, starts doing something? Mm, like if he's not actually think, harassing him or anything. I think what they could do might be limited. I don't think you can be jailed for threatening, but that there might take measures. I mean, when people make threats in a school, the school has to like track down the source of that threat and remove it from the school for safety. So mm. there's... There's stuff. Have you read much Craven before? Craven, the, you know, that, uh, what's it called? That epic miniseries. Or, you know. Oh, the Craven's Last Hunt story? Yeah, Craven's Last Hunt, of course. Read that. That's about I it. Had a, I only read that like a year ago when I was getting into my Spider Man read through. Uh-huh. Um, I have this, of course, we're still in the first 20, so I had this as a kid. Um, and then the annual, but I guess I didn't actually read that annual until my young adulthood. The Torment story from McFarlane's series. Oh, I've where, read that too, yeah. Was he in yeah, that? Or was he Well, just, he's dead in that yeah. one. So like that's that's when I found out he was dead was never he shows up in that story. He didn't do a lot. He was just walking around being dead, right? It was the really the the lady that was behind it all or something. I can't remember what her yeah, name Calypso. was. Calypso, yeah. And the lizard. The lizard looking fantastic. Yes. Mostly his Craven's job in that story was to be like missing part of his head and looking dead. And then Spawn had the same look like in issue <laughs> four of Spawn. Yeah. Craven's cool. Like, I don't know. I don't really buy the whole Chameleon and Craven are friends things. And I'm not really sure why, other than they just don't seem like they'd be friends. Yeah. Like, how do they meet, right? Right. How did, I mean, yeah. Craven doesn't seem like a guy who would have friends. And if he did have friends, it would be like those oddball, honorable villainy kind of friends. Which isn't so much Chameleon, who's more of a, you know, uh, uh, get whatever quick buck I can kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So it, their their friendship seemed uh, contrived. But Craven himself was an interesting villain. Yeah. Yeah, I like him. Uh, I like his look. Mm-hmm. I love the lion vest with the, like, flowing mane behind him. Uh-huh. I think that's fantastic. I love the uh, the utility belt of hollow tusks that hold different stuff. Yeah. You know, like like his his craven shark repellent and his craven rope and you know, other stuff that might be in those things. And the leopard skin um, spandex. <laughs> right. Um okay, so 
page two, whenever Spider-Man loses the fourth uh, bad guy, uh-huh. reminded me of like the second issue of the Fantastic Four, whenever they lose the fourth scroll at the end. Uh-huh. And I will tell you, whenever we got to that flashback with the chameleon, I was like, oh my gosh, that feels like forever ago. It was. I know. I remember... I remember that episode because, of course, I had the, the whole John Jameson thing that I was so excited about. And so it's very bright in my memory. And I was looking forward to it. We did the show for a while before we got there. but That was Spider-Man number one, right? Spider-Man number one. It was so, two years of comics and 43 episodes ago. Yeah, we're on 15 now, which is, you know, yeah. we could read Spider-Man 1 through 15 in one sitting, but we can't cover it that fast. So it does. Nope. It seems like a long time ago. Not with every other comic at the same time. <laughs> right. Um, most modern renditions, you you said that you know no one was there. It's just Jonah. But most modern renditions of Craven show him as being like the star of a TV show, like like a more crass version of Steve Irwin, maybe. Yeah, I wasn't aware that he was a famous guy. So, and they make him famous in this. I guess Craven's last hunt. He he was kind of antisocial at that point. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, people are there. It's a newsworthy story that he's in America. Like everybody knows who he is. Even Peter Parker's class is out there. So he must be cool. To people, yeah, um, which, which just tells you tells you how 1964 this is that a guy who goes around capturing, killing, and poaching animals is cool because yeah. not so much anymore. This is a very dated idea. It, it probably takes a lot from Tarzan. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, fighting and overpowering the animals by being cleverer than they are is a very Tarzan move. It's amazing how much like animals had no rights in early comic books, and, oh, yeah, and it was fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. like. Oh, gorilla's, a gorilla's free and killing everybody, and Superman just, like, throws him in the river, and he dies or something, and no one cares, yeah. right? Superman and lots of other superheroes just sure. kill animals. Punch that shark in the face. It's bothering me. <laughs> yeah, right? And that's fine. It's okay to just kill any animal you want. Now you can. Now if Superman in 2019, like, threw a bear into the middle of the Pacific Ocean, there'd be outcries, you know? I love how Peter doesn't get pictures, because I feel like it's so perfectly human in Peter Parker, like... He's so excited to go be, well, not so, but he's like, stuff happens. So he's going to go be Spidey and he's excited in the moment. And then, you know, seeing Craven has it all under control, kind of throws him off. He's like, huh? Yeah. Okay. So he goes back to being Peter and then he realizes that like, he never took a picture. And of all the times not to, because he actually isn't involved in the fight. So he could have got some really good shots. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, Peter Parker is not Jimmy Olsen, ace photographer. No, no. It's just a thing he does on the side kind of byproduct. Although did they talk at all in a total tangent here, but Spider-Man versus Superman. I don't know if that's what it was called, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. All the supporting cast was involved was like Peter and Jimmy at all like trading shop in that issue. I got to read that again. Not in the first one. Um, Peter and Clark get more into each other's worlds in the second one. Okay. The second one has a much more human flair to it. I don't remember the details, though. I know that Peter flirts with Lana and is totally shut down. Um, and that Lombard makes fun of him for it. Huh. Um, but in the first one, it's much more of an adventure piece, which is a little bit of a uh, human part of the story at the beginning. Yeah. I never thought about the Jimmy Holson angle because I think we've talked about like Peter working for the newspaper is kind of Superman-y. But mm-hmm. as a photographer, yeah, Jimmy Olsen. Interesting. Jimmy Olsen is Superman in this story or this book. <laughs> and uh, I love that last panel on page five 
Jonah's exasperated. Uh-huh. Liz is, you know, flirting and pawing Peter. Betty's upset in the background and Flash's upset on the side. This little quadrangle of, you know, like love and hate going on between the two uh, women and the two boys. Now, when I first read this, because I read this one multiple times too, but when I first read it, I was like, okay, Peter, come on. You say you like Betty or love Betty even. And if you do, you should be telling Liz right now, this isn't appropriate. Hi, this is my girlfriend, Betty, you know? And he's not. But then when I read it again, I had to remind myself, you know, he is 16 years old. Right. And I don't know what the heck I would do if I had one girl interested in me and another girl fixing my tie and my hair and making the first girl jealous. Like, what would I do? I think I would just be embarrassed like he is, too, and have no idea how to polite my way out of that situation. It is it is difficult. And, you know, hormones get in the way on the best of days. And it's just that, too. And he also probably doesn't want to hurt either of their feelings. And right. Yeah. Because as we find out at the end of the back, at the end of the story, Liz is still kind of like option two for him in his mind. Yeah. He doesn't call Betty his girlfriend or anything yet. If ever. Not yet. If ever. Because again, 1964, we don't even get like people who are asking each other to marry each other. They don't call themselves boyfriend or girlfriend either. So right. it's kind of a weird universe these people live in. It's been a while since we had a good see how we're not DC moment but we do get one on page six <laughs> i love boy, that guy when, the street sweeper yeah move it bub you're blocking progress i have boy, to- when i used to read comic mag adventures of superheroes i always dreamed about how great it would be if i would become one it's great all right for everyone except spider-man yeah that never happens to superman <laughs> i feel like he probably had girl problems at some point Spy- uh, superman yeah right uh not as much uh, though, because he doesn't care. That's the difference. Not a, yeah, not as much. Um, <laughs> like I've seen those covers where Lana and Lois are fighting, and he's got this surprised look. But I also feel like he could take it or leave it, and he's just going to go be Superman. Yeah, since Lois and Lana are both so eager for him, they're like in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. But neither one of them really puts that competition on Superman. Like every now and again, they'll do a story where he makes a blunder and they get mad at him for it. But it, it's good um, to be Superman. It's good to be Superman. <laughs> Okay, so page seven, panel four. Yeah. Rocky, nails, peewee, don't just stand there, rush him. And I'm like, okay, tag yourself. Are you Rocky? Are you nails? Or are you peewee? (laughs) Man, I wish I was in a gang when I was a kid, so I'd have a cool nickname. Right? I'd probably be like, I don't know. I'd be Stretch. Matchstick. Matchstick and Stretch. There you go. Yeah. Um. It was a pretty great fight scene. The stuff with um, yeah the the gorillas and the stuff with the the thugs afterward, where Craven's like standing there watch. Actually, the action throughout this, I really like the action. I think it's the best part of the story. And I like that this was all set up so that he could watch his enemy and stuff. Like he really comes off as like a hunter hunter kind of guy. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. Stalking. Like he's not even upset when Spider Man gets away. He actually finds that entertaining. You know, like it's not over. I get to keep chasing him. But we need to talk about Mrs. Watson's niece. Okay. Who could that be? Who could that be? I am surprised that this is happening. I keep saying that about this Spider-Man series, actually, that I'm surprised that things I know are going to happen are happening so early. It is really early, especially if you know when Mary Jane finally makes her first appearance. I, which I don't. Um, it's, it's a while. Yeah. Like, we may not get there while. Yeah, I thought he. She was more of a. Is she a Ditko character? No, she is a Ramita. Design. Okay, so yeah, a very long while then. 
there's occasionally fandom talk about what Ditko's Mary Jane would have been like. So this is just one of those things where they have maybe no intention of, or just like hovering it over our heads for a while or never. Yeah. I mean, it's dragged out for a long time. There is a really famous bit in issue 25 where she shows up, but you can't see her face. Okay. And that was intentional. I take it like just a running gag. Mm-hmm. That who is this? Yeah. This Watson's niece. Um, and I, <laughs> the green goblins face and Mary Jane Watson's face. Ditko never ended up showing us either one. Okay. And then Ramita does both in pretty quick succession at the beginning of his run. And that's where the whole argument argument is as to whose idea uh, Harry Osborne was as Green Goblin, blah, 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 or whatever. Yeah. And Ditko has made that pretty clear. So we can talk about that whenever we get there. Sure. But, um, what used to be fan mystery is no longer fan mystery on that. Um, but yeah, that, that panel of him holding his glass with his hand shaking, that has been in basically every history of Mary Jane ever has shown that panel as her, the first reference to her. Okay. Um, I like this idea that he got drugged. It must be scary if you think about it. Like, you're a vigilante. You can't admit anything. You also have weird, crazy powers, so you can't just go to the doctor because they'll discover yeah. you. And, like, some villain does something to your system, and you don't know what it is, and you're hoping that if you just go to sleep and wake up, you'll feel better. But meanwhile, there's this lingering shake, and you got to think, Peter wonders if, like, this is going to be there forever now. Did he do permanent nerve damage to me? Oh, wow, yeah, that's, that's you know? got to be scary. Scary. But, uh, yeah, downside of being a superhero, I guess. Also has never happened to Superman, except for, you know, like purple kryptonite or something, probably. Yeah. You know, permanently changing his face. And he has to wonder what Clark Kent's going to do. And he tries to cover it up with wax or whatever. So <laughs> it just, it never quits. Seems to have quite the, it's played for hijinks more than for pathos. Right, right. Um, Peter and Betty have been better than this. Yeah, I don't, I feel like we're never going to get back to that, you know, those two issues where they were cool. A little bit of surprise and jealousy based on the circumstances is completely understandable. Um, I'm a little disappointed that this relationship has, I mean, it's not only like fallen into silver age tropes, mm-hmm. but it's going to take those tropes to new levels. Yeah. Like, it's like reading this is Archie. Get bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well it was cool. It sucks that they were like so complex at first and now they're just not. Yeah. Oh, well I do kind of love the Craven fake out as the chameleon. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you got a chameleon for a, a buddy, you might as well use him. Mm-hmm. The stuff with the net, I've never really understood how to read the art there on those bottom three panels, like with all with the loops of, of net going different places, I don't really get. But that's okay, because you, you can get the idea. Even if the art is not clear, you get the idea of what's going on. Yeah, because there's a big, like, 100-word panel that explains what he's doing, which is finding the weak link, essentially. Mm-hmm. But that net is and- so strong that Spider-Man can't rip it. That must be some strong net. Yeah. <laughs> But there are lots of really great ideas. Like you said, there was the sickness and there's the manacles that are going to stick together. I really like the manacles. Oh, that was really cool. Yeah. And then blocking them with webbing glue is is Uh, really great. Yeah. But I love there's like two pages of him kind of like just jumping on one leg because his other arm and leg are trying so hard to pull together magnetically. Right. It's just neat. It's like a horrible way to like, uh, actually, it does get stuck at some point. Yeah, they get stick, stuck together, and I think he has to uh, use glue, uh, the webbing glue to kind of pry them apart. Yeah. Um, I kind of run out of things to say until the last couple of pages. Go ahead. So I loved, I just laughed inside at the line on page 21. Huh. Now what do I do with you? You're too bad-tempered to keep as a pet, and you are much too old to adopt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh yeah. my God, <laughs> that is... I mean, you think Stan Lee is sitting here coming up with these wisecracks and it's just like, 
that's just cl- that's just fun. I love I love the writing. Yeah, definitely. Um, Stan likes Spider Man's voice for sure. Mm-hmm. As far as his uh, whatever bantering. So the chameleon gets deported, and um, they say it like we already. I don't think we knew that he had gotten deported. We saw him get arrested in issue one, but I don't think we knew he had no, gotten deported. Doesn't he say he did in here? Or something. After I was arrested and as, as a spy and deported, I lived in exile all this time. But now that I've returned to resume okay. my blah, blah, blah. So somehow he came back. I don't know if he snuck back or they let him back in. I assume snuck. I assume snuck. Because it's unclear in the first issue whether he was an American working for the communists uh-huh. or a Soviet national working in the States. Right. And this definitely seems to imply it's it's the latter. If you're an American who gets discovered as a communist back in these times, can they deport you? Or where would they deport you to? That doesn't even make sense. I guess they can't. They just arrest you or something. I don't think they would deport you. I think they would arrest you. Right, right. Yeah, of course. So he must yeah, he prison. must, he must not an, be American then. Yeah. If you're an American citizen committing espionage crimes, you get imprisoned. Mm-hmm. I guess if you're not an American citizen, if you're a national from another country, you get sent back. Yeah. So who, where is he from then? They never say. He's just a red um, he, I mean, I can, I can tell you he is Russian. Okay. He's Russian. Yeah. I never knew that about uh, it's him. It's just, it just never comes out clear in the, um, in the early issues. Is he Russian in like when he shows up in cartoons? I don't remember him having like a Russian voice. I don't think I've ever seen him show up in cartoons. He doesn't. Okay. I thought he did, but I don't remember now. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I, there, there's a lot of Spider-Man cartoons. I got the, the nineties series I've, I've only seen a little bits of, so uh, he could be there. I don't know. And you call yourself a Spider-Man fan. I know. Uh, I know. Oh, man. Did you know there's a uh, lizard called a chameleon, too? I didn't realize that. There's, there's a what? There's a lizard-like animal called a chameleon. Oh, yeah. Come, 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 chameleon. So if you just type chameleon into Wikipedia, it's not this guy. Okay, here we go. He, he's named after the lizard picture. Right. I, I was just... <laughs> I was just joking. Let's see. Television. Okay, good. <laughs> amazing Spider- Spider-Man and his amazing friends. He was in that. He was in Spider-Man animated series. He was in the spectacular Spider-Man. So he's been in a few things. Okay. I don't remember him sounding like a Russian or anything, but maybe he did. And I watched through that 80s series a couple years ago. I guess I just missed him. All right. It's really easy to tune out on that series. Sure. I remember. Um Last thoughts. Betty is finally being reasonable again at the bottom of page 21, but turn the page and never mind. Yeah. What did she say? Because he calls her. Okay. If that's the way you want to act, I'll call Liz out. So she goes back to Liz Allen immediately. Yeah. Well, he, she says, you know, I'm sorry about how I was acting earlier. I'm not doing anything tonight. And Peter's like, sorry, Betty, but I'll call you real soon. And she's like, I understand. I should have known a girl can always trust her first impressions. She's damaged goods, man. That's for sure. Something is going on there, and I don't, I don't like it. Well, she dated her brother, so right there, she's got psychological <laughs> issues. Who knows what her family life was like? Her dad probably left when she was young. You know, she just really quickly goes to like no confidence in their relationship. Spoilers: The boat where they're getting deported does not make it very far. Oh, because Craven is back very soon. Because annual time is coming soon. <gasps> does he team up with Submariner? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Guess the only book that Submariner hasn't shown up in is Amazing Spider-Man. So you are so right, and I don't even know if or when he ever does. That'd be does a Namor good fight. ever show up in the Amazing Spider-Man? That'd be a good fight, though. They should. I'm going to go start looking for appearances from Namor and see if he's an amazing Spider-Man. 
Okay. Well, that is our, um, those were our three issues. Those are our three issues. Thoughts on Spidey. Nope. I'm all good. So you know what that means, don't you? No. It's the end of another month. Ooh. Another one mm. in the bag. We are flying. May 1964 is over, kids. So should I do the rundown? Yeah, go ahead. In no particular order, except for it is the order that is on the screen in front of me. <laughs> the Avengers number six featuring Zemo and the Masters of Evil. Okay. What's that? I said alphabetically, but. <laughs> Journey into Mystery 106. Sergeant Fury 8, also with Dr. Zemo. Journey into Mystery was the, um, what's going on in that cover? That was the Thunder God. That was the Hyde, the Hyde, part Mr. Two. Hyde and the Cobra, part two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As a recording, this part one came out today, so that's kind of weird. Um, Tales to Astonish 58, where it's against the Colossus, only not that one. The X-Men 6, where Magneto tries to sell Scarlet Witch into like sexual slavery with Namor, it doesn't work out. Craven the Hunters and Amazing Spider-Man 15, The Fantastic Four 29, Strange Tales 123, and Tales of Suspense 56 with the Uncanny Unicorn. And special wedding issue of Patsy Hetty number 95. Right. Did we forget to cover issue. that? I oh. think we did forget to cover that. And that's, Shoot. Is that where she, who does she marry there? Is it my imagination or is that the only non-superhero book in this month? Oh, no, there's Rawhide Kid down there. Oh, yes, Rawhide Kid. I missed that one. But still, we're getting less and less. It used to be way more even, seemed yeah. like. Yeah, it was. And I'm just flash forwarding to the next month just to see. And there's modeling with Millie and Patsy Walker and Two Gun Kid and Kid Cult Outlaw. Okay. And Millie the Model comic. So somehow some of these are just not on a monthly schedule anymore. Yeah, May was just light for romance and Western, I guess. I guess. Um, all right. I have a worst. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm going to go Fantastic Four number 29. It may not even be the worst, but I just felt kind of offended by its lack of logic. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't like that its lack of logic brought us pretty much to returning them to the moon to fight the Red Ghost in the exact same way they fought the Red Ghost the first time. You know, it just seemed very repetitive. Plus, that cover was so cool, I expected something cooler inside, and I was disappointed. Okay. Um, just for variety's sake, I think I'm going to do. I think I'm going to do. I'm actually torn between Giant Man and Thor. And it's been a while since so we talked about either one of them. But I remember the Thor comic was just like action and not uh-huh. a whole lot else. Yeah, because it's part two. So part two and these little short stories are always just the second half of the fight. Right, right, right. Um, and it was weird because Hyde's clothes were like changing out of nowhere. And uh huh. Um, but you hmm. miss the nuance of the parallels between the two enemies and how they both had dual identities. <laughs> the double double identity. <laughs> yes. Okay, so yeah, there's also Giant Man and Colossus though, and that was pretty weak. And it was like turned out to be an alien invasion. I think the thing is, like, I'm expecting Tales to Astonish to not be great, and Fantastic Four just betrayed me. No, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When was the last time we made Fantastic Four a bottom? So many jokes. Um- <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I am looking at my notes from Journey into Mystery and Tales to Astonish, and I think I'm going to say Journey into Mystery. Okay, that's fair. So, um, Did you forget that Colossus was an alien? 
<laughs> Colossus was he was an alien that was scouting and then thinks all humans can change size and goes back to space. But there was some neat stuff with Hank and Jan in that one. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think there was, huh? Yeah. Oh, and Captain America was in it, so you can't fault you there. Yeah, but it wasn't good, Captain America. No, he just kind of shows up and <laughs> it gives them a bad assignment that nobody wants. Uh. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Not, they were both rather lackluster. It's kind of disappointing for Kirby's story. It's, it's to be expected with Tales to Astonish, but like... Yeah. That was, so yeah, same reasoning then. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say Journey to Mystery because I have to pick one of them. Yep. Um, favorites. This is going to be weird because I think we also kind of don't like it. And when I first saw the cover, I groaned almost because it's like, oh, no, not him again. But I think I'm going to pick X-Men number six. It's popping out to me for some really? reason. Yeah, I really liked Namor in it. I thought it was interesting. Because I was he- actually just sitting here thinking, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I like the way he interacted so- with Magneto and stuff. Sorry, my usual audio promise. But yeah, yeah, it was the weird thing is I was just sitting here thinking, oh, wait a second. The X-Men 6 did my hero wrong with oh, the, the Scarlet, Scarlet Witch, Witch stuff. It so didn't, it didn't about- though. Because like, sure, Magneto was a jerk about it, but yeah, yeah, you're she right. wasn't. And we he found- wasn't mean to her. Right. So we Mariner, found redemption I mean. in the writing, but it was mm-hmm. it, it's the whenever I read it before the show, it rubbed me such the wrong way. Yeah. Um because I was actually sitting here thinking, wait a second, maybe I should just change my worst to the X-Men 6. Oh. Uh, okay. so uh, I'm going 6. I don't know why. It's popping out in my head. All right. Good, good, good. What is my favorite? Spider-Man 15. Uh, no. It's good. Yeah. It's good, but Adventures was good. Yeah. And we actually really liked Iron Man, except for the uh-huh. name of the bad guy. <laughs> I was going to say the unicorn made a pretty good showing. Am I going to pick Iron Man as my favorite this hey, month? It's been a while. I need to think more about this before the episode next time. Um, mm, as zany and offbeat as it is, I do rather like the Avengers number six. Okay. I'm going to go with the Avengers number six. Well, yeah. Their first team up bad guys. Mm-hmm. And it ties so, in with Sergeant Fury, too, kind of. So. Kind of, sort of, like in name only. <laughs> yeah. All right, so those are our top and bottom picks. Um, well, I do have now. We have not actually recorded an episode where I have done Twitter things in quite a while. So I did some research, and I think I know where I left off. So if I left you out, or if I do any repeats, my apologies. But here we go. With all love and thanks for everyone who follows us on Twitter, I want to send shoutouts to Sean Coleman. To DS and RS, a married couple who podcasts. To the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, at Sean42AZ. Uh, that's part of the Pulp to Pixel podcast network. He does Secret Wars and Secret Wars 2 and every crossover. Oh, wow. Every crossover. That's a lot. Uh, now, there aren't a crossover Secret Wars. The first series, no. Marvel Superhero Secret Wars, but Secret Wars 2, they hit every crossover issue. Wow. So they followed the Beyonder's path along his entire trek across America. That sounds like a fun read. Uh, I imagine it probably was fun and bonkers. Because that's like prime 80s Marvel right there. So, like, everybody, right. everybody has fun volume ones going on. And I 
first read Secret Wars 2 a year or so ago, and I actually really like the first half of that series, including the Peter teaches him how to go to the bathroom scene, because I think that's fun. But yeah. uh, I thought it did some really interesting stuff with playing with the idea of the incarnate. You know, Childlike Beyonder was fun. I lost you for a second. What'd you say? Childlike Beyonder was super cute and fun. He was. Yeah. Then he had to go evil. Um, He did eventually go evil. But what are you going to do? We also have Kyle Benning underscore art. KB likes comics. Thank you for following us, Kyle. Uh, Paul Matthew Carr at Daddy Elk. And read more comics at comics underscore more. Let's see. Ian R., the technologically challenged half of Uncaped Review podcaster. And a guy named Chansey is following us on Twitter. And finally on this episode, I want to say a welcome to Marvel Comics UK. He's a collector of vintage and, I lost it, and some modern Marvel Comics books and art sharing with the world Excelsior. I love these Twitter uh, handles that are just like, you know what? I'm going to just send comic stuff out because comics is awesome Mm -hmm. and you should look at them. So that's what he's got there. Yeah. That's at Gavman Lowe. So uh, while I'm bringing up the Facebooks, tell them where they can find us, Mike. You can find us at makearsmarvel.com. There you will find a post for every episode. You can listen there or you can follow one of the links that helps you subscribe with your favorite device. So iTunes, Stitcher, Google, blah, blah, blah. Uh, There's also links to our social media, um, Facebook and Twitter we're down to. And as you can see, if you like us there, we'll give you a shout out. And lastly, there's a way you can email us. There's a form you can fill out. Or if you don't like forms, and who does, you could just email us directly uh, with podcast at makearsmarvel.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics, my other shows at All the Pouches, at Silly Sentai, and my Scarlet Witch tweet blog at It's Wanda Time. Uh, hello over on Facebooks to Matthew Cody. John Smith, Jimmy Taylor, Frank Lutz, and Matt Odekirk. Um, resharing posts, retweeting episodes, talking us up in your circles. We always appreciate it. Reviews, of course, are always welcome. Any way you want to spread the word about the show, we will always love you forever. And we're going to do something new starting with this episode, if we can remember to do it. Yeah, we've decided that maybe we should give you guys a heads up on what we're going to try and cover next so that you can read along if that makes you happy. So you've got a week to read three measly comics. Shouldn't be that bad. You need to read Journey into Mystery number 107, where Thor faces the uh, gargoyle. Daredevil number three, featuring the first appearance of the owl. And Tales to Astonish number 55, Giant Man versus the Hulk. At 59. 59, I'm sorry. You could read 55 too, but we're going to cover 59. Right. So read those until uh, before next time. And until then, or until Marvel decides to retcon that Chameleon and Craven are actually brothers, make ours Marvel. Marvel.